Hello, welcome back to MLEX's podcast. It's great to have your company again at the end of the Northern Hemisphere summer. I hope you've had a chance to relax. My name is James Paniki. I'm a senior editor here at MLEX. And today, something very special for you, an interview with Samuel Levine. Sam Levine is the Director of the Bureau of Consumer Protection with the US Federal Trade Commission. He has an interesting professional background and his name often comes up in MLEX's regulatory coverage out of the US. He's speaking here with MLEX's Chief Global Digital Risk Correspondent, Mike Swift. Sam, thanks so much for, for taking a little time to chat with us today. It's great to be here, Mike. So uh, in recent weeks at the FTC, we've seen a proposed blanket order prohibiting Meta from monetizing health data. You've had a proposal to strengthen the health breach notification rule. You've had orders against Premom, Better Health, and Better Health on uh, sharing of health data for advertising. You've had an order against Edmodo, prohibiting them from using kids' data for ads. You've had the first major enforcement actions on privacy against Amazon and Microsoft in a couple of court settlements. You've had an action against Ring for accessing uh, consumer video. You've had a lawsuit against Amazon uh, over its alleged use of dark patterns, making it tougher for consumers to cancel Prime. And you've had a battle against Twitter to defend uh, your ongoing privacy investigation against them, which uh, became public through court filings. And you've sent a warning letter, along with Health and Human Services, to about 130 hospitals and health providers, warning them uh, about the dangers of online tracking technologies. And all of that has happened since May 3rd. So my first question is, when are we going to get a break here, Sam? When 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 summer vacation start? Uh, you, you've been pretty busy. Yeah, well, there's no doubt that we've been very busy. You know, we said last summer, for example, that health privacy was going to be a big priority for us in the year to come. And I think we followed through on that. And I think if you look at the host of actions we've brought, I think they're notable not only for their volume. As you said, we've brought a lot of cases over the last uh, couple months but also notable for some of the relief we've gotten, uh, some of the theories we've articulated, some of the ways that we have laid out how the FTC Act applies to emerging technology. So I think it's quite clear we are firing on all cylinders uh, here at the FTC, and I'm really proud of what we've been able to accomplish over the last couple months, and you know we're just getting started. I'd like to start out with sort of a, a general question. Could you just maybe describe a little bit, you know, what your job is at the FTC and, and, you know, what a typical day is like for Sam Levine? Certainly. So the FTC has two primary missions, uh, protecting consumers from unfair deceptive practices uh, and protecting uh, the public uh, from unfair methods of competition. And I lead the Bureau of Consumer Protection which is responsible for half of that mission. Uh, our core authority is Section 5 of the FTC Act, uh, which dates back to the 1930s. It prohibits unfair deceptive practices in commerce. Uh, and we've been able to use that authority to tackle a whole host of issues over the last many decades, from deceptive ads on the radio, to social media, to false advertising, all sorts of issues we've been able to protect the public using this very broad, flexible authority that Congress gave us. You know, within the Bureau of Consumer Protection, we are, I think, small but mighty. Uh, we have eight regional offices all over the country, and we have eight divisions uh, here within the FTC. 
Um, most of those divisions are litigating divisions, but we also have very critical consumer education and outreach mission. We have litigation support. We have uh, the Consumer Sentinel database, which is really, I, th I think, of the crown jewel of the agency. It's a huge database of consumer reports that help us track what's happening in the market so that we can respond with our enforcement actions. Uh, so we're doing a lot. And with respect to my day-to-day, uh, much of the time I'm meeting with various divisions within the Bureau and across the agency to coordinate our work, check in on progress, uh, learn about recent developments. And a lot of my work also is you know, reviewing settlement recommendations, reviewing complaint recommendations, meeting with outside counsel, meeting with uh, groups that have business before the FTC. Uh, so it's a really varied job and you know, no, no two days are alike. But it's very fulfilling because it really, the, the, as you said earlier, the breadth of the work we do, the volume at which we do it, um, keeps me busy and, and, and keeps me you know, deeply fulfilled yeah. uh, in this work. I've noticed that people often have an interesting path to the privacy world. And um, you came to the FTC via Harvard Law School and the Illinois Attorney General's Office. But before Harvard, you did a city year working with elementary school students on Chicago's South Side. Um, teaching them literacy. And I wonder if that experience informs your work today at the FTC in any way. That's a really interesting question. You're right that I did uh, a year at City Year, which is an absolutely fabulous program. It's part of AmeriCorps, but actually predated AmeriCorps. It did inform, it has informed my work. You know, one, one way at which it informed my career is that I think I was good at what I did. Uh, but I'm not as talented as the many teachers I worked with who were, who were in the school I worked at. Uh, teaching is such an incredibly important profession, um, and I, it certainly gave me an appreciation for what teachers have to go through day to day. And, you know, made me think teachers really deserve a lot more pay and respect than they have. It also informed my legal career. You know, it so happened that when I was, when I was working on the south side of Chicago, that was end of 2008, beginning of 2009. I remember Lehman Brothers failed, you know, right at the beginning of that school year. And I saw firsthand with what my students were going through, uh, how the economic collapse was rippling across low-income communities in Chicago. You know, I saw families have to move, switch, you know, maybe switch schools uh, because they were losing their homes. I saw you know, storefronts being shuttered, homes being foreclosed. And I think it gave me a real visibility into how the macro economy uh, affects everyday people in a way that, you know, you're not likely to get necessarily in a college course. And I think that's informed my work ever since. I think, in, in, you know, in law school, I really became passionate about consumer protection through my work uh, around the housing crisis. Um, you know, I went on to get very involved in the for-profit school crisis, which in many ways I think emerged as a direct result of, of, of the recession. And now I feel privileged to be part of some of our biggest consumer protection challenges today, especially around privacy and data abuse. So, you know, my, my work in City Year was in some ways more difficult than being a lawyer, uh, but it's really informed my legal work and, and given me an appreciation for how the work we do in D.C., has so much impact on people's everyday lives, for good or for ill. Well, let's jump into FTC policy. Has there been a sea change over the past two years in the FTC's regulatory policy on data protection, do you think? And if so, could you please describe that? 
So the FTC has been really active and I think ahead of the curve on data protection for many years. I think what has changed over the last two years is that FTC leadership, including the chair, including myself, including other commissioners, have been very clear and upfront with the public that the notice and choice regime, which has essentially governed U.S. privacy for decades, is failing. I think early on, uh, we made clear all the reasons why you know, we, we can't put all the onus on consumers to read these long privacy notices, why choice is often illusory, why consumers can't opt out of the digital economy, and why really this whole framework, you know, maybe it made sense two decades ago, but really this whole framework is a fiction, is built on a fiction. And I think, you know, that was obvious maybe to many people, but I think we were probably the first kind of agency in the federal government to really be uh, clear about saying that. And at the time, it might have been viewed as kind of as aspirational or observational. But I think what we've shown over the last two years is that we're following through in a really big way. Uh, we called out the problem with the noticing choice regime. And what that led to is a whole paradigm shift in how we think about privacy and how we think about the responsibilities of companies versus the responsibilities of consumers. So you mentioned some cases earlier. You know, we've been able to secure just in the last few months orders that actually prohibit the sharing of sensitive data, not just giving consumers an opt-in or opt-out, but actually prohibiting the sharing. We've been able to secure orders, changing default settings to be more privacy protective. We've secured more than half a dozen orders that have restrictions on the collection and retention of, of consumers' information. So one of the things I'm proudest of in, in this job is that, you know, in the beginning, we called out a regime that we uh, argued was failing the American people. And I think we are following through on that, both with our enforcement actions and our rulemaking activity, which we can talk about, uh, to actually deliver stronger protection, stronger privacy protections for people. Do you think it's overstating it to say you're really rewriting the rules of the Internet and, and moving away from notice and choice? Is, is it that dramatic a shift, do you think? Well, I think what we've been clear about is that the FTC Act, uh, I don't think has, hasn't been rewritten. But what we've made clear is that practices can be unfair, uh, even if they're disclosed in a privacy policy. Uh, again, we have gotten remedies that don't require companies to disclose that they're sharing sensitive data for advertising purposes. They prohibit the sharing of sensitive data for advertising purposes. So while we would certainly welcome Congress passing new rules, and while we are certainly considering using our own rulemaking authority to initiate new rules, we are also showing that the existing rules, that Section 5 of the FTC Act has broad applicability and affords consumers broad protections from some of the data abuses we've seen over the last uh, couple decades. Has the FTC made a judgment on data protection that there were just too many years of uh, lax or less aggressive enforcement in the past and too much deference to the market and that now you and other regulators have to kind of overcorrect to bring uh, things back to, to the center? Do you think that's the case? I think the real mistake was that Congress has yet to pass uh, comprehensive privacy legislation. I think the FTC has been clear for many years, commissioner after commissioner, term after term, that, con that we would welcome privacy legislation. And I think it's been to the detriment of everyone that Congress has not been able to pass such legislation. 
So what we are doing now is we really are committed to using all of the tools we have uh, to do what we can to protect the public, uh, including our rulemaking authority, including our health breach notification rule, which we had not enforced until this year, including you know, uses of our unfairness authority that maybe had not been contemplated a few years ago. So I, I really think this is about making sure we are adapting the tools we have, especially Section 5 of the FTC Act, to emerging problems in the economy, rather than just you know, kind of waiting around for Congress to pass legislation. We welcome Congress doing so. We hope they do so soon but we can't afford to sit on our hands. So we sort of are obligated here to talk a little bit about generative AI. And Alvaro Bedoya and other commissioners have been very clear that they believe um, existing law is sufficient to, to regulate it, even though you know, clearly uh, the FTC wants to see a national privacy law. But I wonder if you could take us a little bit inside the agency and sort of how you're confronting this great unknown. And um, maybe talk a little bit. I, I mean, I know that uh, the Bureau of Consumer Protection and the Bureau of Competition talk a lot more than they used to about how there could be sort of joint harms. And I guess from your chair, what is the biggest risk of harm to consumers? And, and what is the FTC doing right now to prepare for that? Well, what I will start by saying is I, I think you describe generative AI as, as a great unknown. And, you know, it's, it's certainly new but the FTC has been thinking about and working on issues around artificial intelligence for many years. I think we've been ahead of the curve. Uh, we sounded the alarm on data-driven discrimination in our, uh, in our big data report, which was, I don't know, eight, eight or nine years ago. We issued a report in the summer of 2022, which on the one hand is recent, but on the other hand is before kind of all of the hype around um, generative AI. We issued a report in the summer of 2022 uh, expressing concerns with some of the development of of this technology um, and skepticism around some of the uh, ability of the technology to address major problems in the economy. I think our posture now is, on the one hand, we, like I think many Americans, are excited about uh, the innovation that is happening. There's huge promise for for medical breakthroughs, uh, making consumers' lives easier. Um, The technology holds great promise, and that kind of innovation is innovation that we welcome. But we are very aware of some of the harms that could result, whether it's data abuses, whether it's fraud, mental health concerns around the use of this technology to manipulate people. And I think we're uniquely positioned within the federal government uh, to take on some of these harms for a number of reasons. First, as you alluded to, we have both competition and consumer protection authority. So we can think both about how this could lead to unfair deceptive practices, but also how AI could further consolidation uh, and kind of reinforce moats around existing incumbents. We also have staff that have incredible expertise, not only attorneys, but also investigators. We've significantly ramped up the number of technologists we have on staff. We're adding more economists to our staff. So we have deep expertise without the agency, within the agency. And the final reason I think we're well positioned to take on this challenge is that we have deep expertise across markets. I feel strongly that expertise in AI doesn't just require expertise in AI as such. It requires an understanding of how AI could reshape or could affect 
certain markets once it becomes more widely deployed for commercial use. Because of our broad jurisdiction and many decades of enforcement, we at the FTC have deep experts in a whole host of markets across the economy. I think that's going to serve us well as we take on this challenge. And I can tell you that everyone across the Bureau of Consumer Protection and really everyone across the agency is thinking hard about this technology, both its potential and how we can prevent harms to consumers and competition. In, in filing the recent uh, Rosca suit against Amazon and uh, also uh, the, the order against Meta, where you're seeking to block them from monetizing um, the data of youths, the FTC really seems to be turning the page of its playbook in the past of um, negotiating a settlement rather than actually going to court and litigating against big tech companies. And I wonder if that perception is accurate in your view. I mean, is, is this a departure point where you're, um, you know, not spending years negotiating a settlement, but actually just, you know, really taking these companies on in court? You know, when we can negotiate settlements that address our concerns around the law breaking, that deter other law breaking, and that prevent, you know, further harm to consumers, we welcome that opportunity. And in fact, you know, most cases, the vast majority of cases we bring, uh, we end up settling. We've gotten some of, I think, the most significant settlements in history. We've gotten the largest COPPA settlement in history, the largest administrative settlement in history, uh, the largest Rosca settlement in history. So, so there's no question that we welcome the opportunity to resolve cases out of court. But I think we are also making clear to the marketplace that we are not afraid to take companies to court when we think that's the only way to protect the public. You know, particularly when firms are violating FTC orders, when they're misleading FTC lawyers or investigators, uh, when they're you know, trying to engage in gamesmanship around tolling agreements or, or, or CID production. Uh, you know, we're not gonna try to negotiate a settlement if we don't have the information we need from the party to protect the public. We're not going to try to negotiate a, a settlement if it means leaving consumers out in the cold. So we welcome the opportunity to resolve cases, and we generally do. But we are not afraid to take companies to court, and we are really blessed to have some of the best litigators in the country. Mike Perchuk called this, I quote him a lot, the greatest public interest law firm in the country. I fully believe in that. And if we can't protect the public through a settlement, uh, we will go to court and try to protect the public uh, through litigation. And that's something we're fully prepared to do. So I hear a bit of a warning there uh, in that um, if uh, your company is being investigated by the FTC and you do not cooperate with that investigation, if you withhold documents, if you don't respond to CIDs, that you're really putting yourself at greater risk of litigation rather than you know, just delaying the inevitable. Well, the reality is the, the longer investigations go on, uh, the harder it can be to get money back to consumers, the harder it can be to stop the harm that goes on uh, as a result of the, the violations. So we really do expect companies to be cooperative with us. Obviously, we're, we're, we, we will negotiate, we'll discuss production schedules. You know, I think companies will find that we will be quite pragmatic. But we want cooperative, good-faith negotiations. Uh, when we get cooperative, good-faith negotiations, most of the time we can settle cases. And that's great, I think, for all involved. But when companies are not turning over key information 
How can we possibly negotiate a settlement that protects the public when we don't have the information we need about the harms that led to the investigation in the first place? So that is why, you know, when appropriate and when necessary, we will take companies to court to vindicate the public interest. But again, companies that work with us in good faith, you know, produce documents according to a, a reasonable schedule, you know, we hope we can resolve those cases, and the vast majority of the time we do. Uh, let's shift to rulemaking quickly. Um, where does the FTC's rulemaking process stand on privacy, and uh, will we see a rule proposed by the end of 2023, do you think? So it won't surprise you that I can't commit to any timeline, and I can't commit that we will move forward with the rulemaking on privacy and surveillance. What I can say is that since we issued the advance notice of proposed rulemaking last year, uh, we've gotten more than 10,000 comments uh, from members of the public uh, regarding their interest in, in this issue. And I think what that reflects is that privacy, data security, these are not just concerns among uh, people living in D.C. There's broad interest uh, throughout the country uh, in ensuring that people's data is protected. Um, and we are benefiting from and reviewing thousands of comments, again, from all over the country, consumers, businesses, civil society groups, weighing in on whether we should move forward with rules. Uh, we're taking those comments seriously, uh, and, and we'll make a determination in, in due course. In the general, do you see future privacy enforcement likely to be more focused on injunctive relief rather than civil penalties? I mean, the, the reason I ask that question is, you know, you've cited some of important recent enforcement actions where firms have been required to delete algorithms or to delete data or to not to stop uh, sharing personal information for advertising purposes. And I mean, it has injunctive relief, you know, become more important than just forcing companies to pay a fine, do you think? You know, I think that's an excellent question. And I think you're right to highlight we have secured really important injunctive relief in a whole host of cases. And it's something we think a lot about. If you look at the orders we've gotten, these are not just you know, fix the mistakes you made. They're really designed to protect the public going forward, realign incentives, and, and to prevent recidivism. That said, uh, I certainly don't think uh, we have taken our eye off the ball when it comes to securing civil penalties. I believe civil penalties are really important. You know, when Congress passes a law and says that violations thereof could expose a company to civil penalties, that is a message by Congress that those are practices that should be deterred. And if you look at what we've been able to do over the last couple of years, first enforcement action under health breach notification rule and our first civil penalty there, uh, first time getting a civil penalty under ROSCA, uh, largest civil penalty under, ever under our penalty offense authority, largest civil penalty under, ever under COPPA. Uh, we are certainly thinking about deterrence and civil penalties in addition to injunctive relief but they really do go hand in hand. We want to protect the public going forward, and we want to deter companies from breaking the law. What, in your view, is the single biggest thing the FTC needs more of to improve its ability to protect American consumers uh, on data protection? Is it you know, a national privacy law, bigger budget? Uh, if it's about money, how would you spend it? So our most acute need is a fix to the AMG decision uh, from three years ago two years ago um, uh, by the Supreme Court. It is urgent that Congress restore our authority to get money back to consumers under Section 13B of the FTC Act. Uh, so that's number one. 
Number two, if I'm entitled to a wish list on this, um, we, as I said earlier, comprehensive federal privacy legislation, it's very important to us, but it's really critically important to the American people. Uh, we are falling behind the rest of the world when it comes to protecting Americans' data, and I think it's vitally important that we, that, that we catch up. In terms of what the FTC would do with additional resources or additional authority, um, you know, the first thing we would do is we would, we would enforce the laws Congress gives us. I'm quite proud of the fact that over the last uh, year, year and a half, you know, we brought our first action under our opi opioid uh, addiction recovery fraud statute, first action under health breach notification rule, first action under the Military Lending Act. I feel very strongly that when Congress gives us a law to enforce, that we should enforce it. So that's the first thing we would do. We would take direction from Congress. Um, I think the other thing that we would do is build on our existing work. You, you mentioned how many cases we brought over the last couple months, and, and we're quite proud of that. But there are, you know, for every company we challenge, uh, there are probably three or four other companies engaged in similar practices that we don't have the resources to take on. On the one hand, that mean, that makes it all the more important that we get remedies that send a clear message to the marketplace. On the other hand, that means that with more resources, we could do a lot more for the American people. We could get more money back to more people. We could protect more data at more firms. You know, we are actually smaller as an agency than we were four decades ago, even as the economy is significantly larger. We're far smaller than our counterparts around the world. Uh, we could do a lot. You know, we punch above our weight, and I'm quite proud of that. Um, but I don't think anyone would argue that there are too many uh, data protections for people or too many consumer protections for people or that too much money is getting back to people who have been defrauded. There's a lot more we can do uh, if we had the tools and resources uh, to do it. And just a quick question about the new um, EU-US data protection framework. Um, the FTC is charged with enforcing that. Um, how aggressive are you going to be on that? We're absolutely going to be aggressive uh, in, in, in doing that, just as we were on Privacy Shield. You know, I will say that one of the things that we really value uh, is our uh, uh, work with European enforcers. Um, we, we think it's quite important. You know, we are confronting some of the same issues at the FTC, like dark patterns, like privacy abuses, uh, like deceptive green claims. Uh, that our counterparts in Europe and around the world are confronting. And there are always lessons I think they are learning from us and lessons we are learning from them. Uh, so we welcome uh, our role in the framework. Uh, we will be aggressive uh, in our enforcement efforts. Uh, and I hope that it leads to continued uh, uh, strong dialogue and cooperation uh, with our counterparts around the globe. I talk to a lot of companies here in Silicon Valley, and I can tell you that you're not making a lot of friends with, with some of these companies um, on the warm and fuzzies. And when an enforcer becomes more uh, aggressive, sometimes there can be a pushback. And uh, I think we're seeing some of that in Congress with Republicans' uh, treatment of the chair in recent uh, days. And I guess I'm wondering, in your view and the view of the agency, um, keeping in mind history like uh, the 1970s and what happened when the FTC was last in a really aggressive phase. 
Do you ever worry about being like Icarus and flying too close to the sun? That maybe uh, you get too aggressive and there's too much pushback. I mean, is that a concern for you at all? Well, look, one of the things that I've been struck by over the last two years in this job uh, actually is how much bipartisan support we've had for our work uh, in the Bureau of Consumer Protection. You, you referenced some of the noise around the agency, and, and obviously I'm, I'm, I'm well aware of that. But if you look at the day-to-day work that we're doing, uh, it's overwhelmingly popular with the American people and popular with both parties. You know, one of the other things that came out of that hearing uh, with the chair is strong support on both sides of the aisle for the work we're doing on data brokers. Uh, and that's not just true there either. Uh, we had bipartisan support for our auto rule within the commission. We had bipartisan support for our click to cancel policy statement uh, within the commission. Uh, we've had bipartisan support for launching rulemakings on earnings fraud and impersonation fraud. So on a whole host of really ambitious policy areas for the FTC, we have gotten bipartisan support. And I think there is, uh, you know, Republicans don't like being tricked into subscription traps any more than Democrats like being tricked into subscription traps. Um, So many of these issues cut across party lines. They affect all consumers. And I'm excited to have, I hope soon, two more Republican commissioners at the FTC Uh, to continue the important work we're doing and show the public that this really isn't about Republicans or Democrats. This is about protecting consumers and promoting competition. Thanks so much, Sam. I really appreciate you taking the time with me today. Excellent. Well, thanks, Mike. It was great chatting with you. Sam Levine is the Director of the Bureau of Consumer Protection with the U.S. Federal Trade Commission, and he was speaking with MNEX's Chief Global Digital Risk Correspondent, Mike Swift. And we'll be back with more interviews and information from the MLEX team in coming days and weeks. Just a reminder that our website is mlexmarketinsight.com. That's M-L-E-X marketinsight.com. I'm James Paniki, and from everyone here at MLEX and LexisNexis, thank you for your company. I'll see you again soon. Bye for now. Bye for now.